Trust Butterball, America's favorite turkey brand, to help you attract more diners. Butterball is a leader in animal care and well-being, with turkeys raised on U.S. family-owned farms. Explore products, including all-natural and NAE options, at ButterballFoodService.com. The single biggest trend in the restaurant business right now is the rapid growth of off-premise ordering. But how can operators take advantage of it? Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, Executive Editor at Restaurant Business Magazine, and this week's edition of A Deeper Dive is all about off-premise. Takeout orders, which include delivery, are growing considerably at all types of restaurant chains, from cheap fast food concepts to upscale casual restaurants. The trend has taken many chains that were built for dine-in business by complete surprise. So first, I talk with Melissa Wilson, principal at restaurant business sister company Technomic, to talk about the things restaurant operators have to think about as they try to cater to growing demands for takeout and delivery, and do so without taking business away from dine-in customers. And then I chat with Carl Howard, the CEO of Fazoli's, and we talk extensively about takeout and delivery and how the company has had to evolve to meet those demands. He also talks about the chain's development strategy and its growth focus. And later, I give my thoughts about the potential impact takeout could have on the restaurant business, not just in how customers are served, but in how the companies themselves look and operate. But first, here is Melissa Wilson. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jonathan. So uh, we are talking about off-premise today, and uh, obviously that's been a major, major trend in the restaurant space for some time. Talk a little bit about... um, First off, let's what what do what do restaurant companies have to keep in mind these days if they want to deal with a customer base that is increasingly ordering their food through delivery or to to go with them? Well, I mean, there's so many things that they do need to think about. Um, and you know, considering our industry, I'd say first and foremost, as they're uh, putting together their strategy and and looking at how they're going to execute. Let's not forget the on-premise consumer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've definitely seen um, some operators that as they're working through how to deal with this influx of off-premise business, um, that sometimes our existing facilities and systems um, aren't set up for that and it can take the focus away from the on-premise customer. Mm-hmm. We've seen situations where companies have focus so much on their off-premise consumer that they really kind of forget service for in-store customers. Uh, that's especially true, I think, with with casual dining, where a lot of casual dining restaurants have sort of been um, so eager to get aboard this trend, this 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 off-premise trend that they've distracted from from their dining customers, and they're losing dining customers, and they're losing sales, and 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 those frankly, are still more profitable sales than the takeout customers. Yeah, no question, because as you think about off-premise, don't forget on-premise. You know, that said, back to your original question, there's so many other factors that operators need to be looking at from within the location. Um, Where are they going to be um, executing these orders? Will they be using the same line, or do they need to build a a separate line or or have them fulfilled in a separate venue? Um, within the restaurant, who's going to be handling and putting together those orders? To your point about a casual dining restaurant, 
is that a server um, who's uh, on a tipped program that's going to be packaging all of these orders and handing them out? Or um, is it going to be um, somebody in the um, heart of house or, or kitchen area? So a lot of things to think through. Do they need to move where the condiments are kept? Uh, do they need to um, have a separate pickup area clearly designated that um, either consumers go to or in, in case of third-party delivery so that the drivers know where to pick up an order? Mm-hmm. And that, that's just the tip of the iceberg. This 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 shift off premise is really impacting everything about both operations and marketing. Right, right. I, I think one of the most interesting comments I heard was from a packaging company. Um, uh, you know, one of the, one of the vendors that sells you know just packaging for restaurants, and he said, you know, he's been in the business for thirty years and had not seen nearly as much attention during that time until really the past year or two in terms of just the packaging, the to-go packaging that restaurants have to use. So, you know, so it's gone from, you have to think about are, are, are your, you know, things like, is your name visible on your takeout packaging? You know, what kind of takeout packaging are you offering for, um, you know, for your off-premise customers and that sort of thing. Just the that sort of thing that people really never had to think about. Now they have to think about a ton. No question. And uh, again, thinking about what, whatever segment of the industry, I mean, packaging is not just for leftovers anymore. And it's not just something that consumers can, you, you can put something in for a, a limited service restaurant that, that, that they're taking home because um, it's got to, to your point about the logo and branding, it's got to communicate that that is your branded food, but so many other facets, is, is it going to maintain product integrity? How do you avoid cross-contamination of different dishes? Um, how do you ensure that everything's properly labeled? And let's not forget the importance of, um, tamper evident packaging in, um, depending on the conduit that the product is being delivered as well. So I, I agree with you. There's been more emphasis on packaging over the last couple of years um, than I think we've seen in, in quite a long time. And um, there's still a lot of um, innovation going on trying to find solutions for some of these new need states. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if, if, of course, and I think a lot of the focus has been on, and rightfully so, on third-party delivery. But I think one of the things that really doesn't get a lot of attention really in terms of the, the mainstream is, is just a simple drive through. And, and there's been a lot of activity on this particular front as well. So you have things from McDonald's investing $300 million in dynamic yield, which I think is a fascinating, absolutely fascinating deal. Um, you know, basically bringing fancy Amazon like uh, technology to drive-through screens, um, and then you just have companies like Chipotle and Habit that that uh, you know in in a fast casual sector that for a long time basically insisted that they were never going to have drive-throughs. Now they're starting to have drive-through windows. They're experimenting with it, or in Habit's case, they're expanding it pretty rapidly, sort of like Panera has done. So, I mean, I think that one of the funniest things about the current trend is. As 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 much uh, as many fancy new strategies as there are for off-premise business, the best way still to this day to make yourself more convenient to customers is to simply put a window in your um, in your restaurant for for people who can't get out of their cars. Well, true, um, and not as simple as it seems because definitely involves um, facility retrofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
to have uh, different POS registers there, need to figure out if you're going to do double or single drive through But um, also, I agree to your point, there's a lot of innovation happening at the drive through right now from brands that um, are preparing product to order, which is a key consumer demand, figuring out how they're going to manage that throughput. Um, and so you see brands um, such as, I mean, McDonald's, um, earlier the last couple of years, they were testing where consumers could order online and then come and pick up um, the order um, or it would be brought out to them through the drive through mm-hmm. So a lot of opportunities looking there. Um, one uh, untapped un- opportunity we believe so far is um, one of our studies uh, on the off-premise opportunity. We learned that more than 40% of consumers that have a pet in the car as they go through the drive through order something for that pet. Really? So they, so, so in other words, if you're a restaurant operator and you're listening to this, um, put doggy treats in your drive-thru window. (laughs) You know, um, we think there's an untapped opportunity there. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, it, it, it sort of gets to this idea of customer service and you, you can, you can do little things like that to improve, you know, sort of the customer service in an area that you may not necessarily think of it in terms of service quality, but. You know, people go through the drive-thru still want a good experience when they go through. And if you order, you have a pet, you have a dog with you. I mean, I, frankly, nothing makes a dog owner happier than having a having somebody give a treat to their dog. No question. And you never know. Is there an opportunity to sell them a, a mini side of chicken nuggets or whatever your menu items happen right. to be? Right. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. So, we, just thought that was a, we just thought that was a fun finding. <laughs> Well, that's, it's, it, and again, it's, it's certainly fascinating. So, so what you, you, you alluded to some, some considerations. I mean, I think one of the challenges I think some chains have when they do add drive-throughs is, and this gets back to one of the original points, it can easily, a drive-through can easily distract your, your away from your dine-in business. Um, Tends to be one of the you know, I mean, I know that certainly happens a lot at QSR restaurants, especially late at night, where the focus is more on the drive-through than on the dine-in business. How do you ensure, especially if you're a company that's newly getting into this sort of like a fast casual pizza chain or or a burger concept, how do you make sure that the drive-through doesn't distract from your dine-in customers? Well, the, 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 the brands that do more drive-through business tend to be building up the facility and, and staffing accordingly so that they've got somebody that's dedicated to that, taking that drive-through order. Um, sometimes they're also tasking so that there's a dedicated individual packaging that drive-through order. Now, to your point about late night, that can be a bit more challenging in that um, you might have uh, reduced staff on hand. But on the other side of the coin, again, we think about late night business, um, uh, directing more consumers through the drive-thru can also um, improve safety outcomes for your in-restaurant team as well. Um, So just some key considerations in terms of how you're um, allocating and uh, scheduling the staff to be sure that you're appropriately covered there. And certainly there's a lot happening now with technology that can be leveraged or evaluated for leveraging in the future, um, whether it's directing consumers or encouraging consumers to order online uh, through an app that you already have and come through the drive-through um, to uh, uh, incorporating and building in some geofencing so that you can be preparing an order ahead of time before they actually hit that drive-through lane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So geofencing to 
to improve your drive-through business. It's just, you know, again, the, the amount of technology that's available today to help restaurants do their job is, is really just fascinating. It seems like a restaurant company could spend a lot of money on this. No, they absolutely could, but we definitely think that we're going to see a lot more attention paid to the geofencing piece, not only for drive-through, but also for everyday takeout orders, as well as the third-party delivery. Because it makes sense on a lot of levels, if you're encouraging consumers to place that order ahead of time, then you can plan uh, your uh, scheduling and production more effectively than um, just responding to an influx of orders and um, actually um, having the products produced closer to when the consumer or the driver is actually there to pick them up. So that it can definitely can improve um, quad product quality significantly. Mm -hmm. So uh, from a, from a menu standpoint, should, if you're, if I'm a restaurant operator, do I want to offer the same uh, menu for off-premise customers that I do for dining customers? Or the, is that really a kind of a case by case and chain by chain basis? You know, that's a great question, and I do think it is more of a case-by-case, chain-by-chain. You know, consumers definitely say that they want everything available um, that's on their regular menu, and yet we know practically that um, there's certain items that just aren't going to be um, – it, it's going to be much harder to maintain the product quality. Um, and so um, operators that um, have – many operators have limited their menus – um, they do indicate that they're not receiving as much pushback as they expected because they're focusing on their more popular items. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Melissa, I really appreciate uh, you joining uh, the podcast again this week. Oh, always happy to do so. It's an ongoing topic that there's um, always something new um, cropping up uh, within our industry on this uh, focus on off with this focus on off premise. Right. It's very, very big. And, and, uh, frankly, I, I can't do enough, uh, episodes on it given, uh, given it time. So, and I probably won't stop doing episodes. I imagine this won't be the last one I do. on off premise. <laughs> I have a hunch it will not. <laughs> okay. I am here with, uh, Carl Howard from Fazoli's Carl. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate being on today. So uh, you've been the uh, CEO of Fazoli's for a little over 10 years now. And could you talk a little bit about sort of where, where the company is at at the moment? Where, uh, you know, how many locations are you at and, and, and what, what are the plans this year? Sure. So uh, we opened 10 locations last year, uh, brought the number up to 216 locations system-wide. Uh, we have four or five locations under construction right now, and you know we're continuing to recruit new franchise groups into our organization. So you know our our hope and optimism is that we'll be building ten to to fifteen units a year uh, for the next you know twelve to twenty four months, and then from there we really see the growth going to more like twenty to twenty five units a year with the uh, backlog that we're starting to build. So. Uh, you know, we're focused on uh, rebuilding and growing the company right now, and uh, we're uh, actually doing well as a brand, and we just feel very fortunate to be where we are today. Yeah, so you've, you've uh, I mean, guided through the company through a fairly rough period and getting into really just to get to this particular point. Um, talk a little bit, if you could, sort of uh, just, you know, briefly a little bit about sort of you know, kind of the history of the brand from, from, and then, and where it was when you kind of took over a decade ago and what you had to do. 
Sure. So uh, when I started uh, uh, 10 and a half years ago, the brand was, you know, highly fractured and there was not a uh, focus on our core consumer. There was a, a lot of different ideas going on amongst the executive team and we just didn't have a clear strategy and path. I did a pretty uh, deep dive and a consumer analysis on the brand, really studied our consumer, uh, the, the segment that, that we were in, and then tried to find and create our own white space. And what we really did is take Fazoli's out of competing with McDonald's and Burger King and elevated the brand into a premium QSR. We provide more table service after the point of sale than anybody in the business. Our food quality has been elevated probably 10 times. And you, know, you just can't get the quality of food for $7.99 that you can't. There's no one's doing what we're doing at a $7.99 price point. So that's uh, uh, went well uh, for the brand. And we've uh, seen uh, same store sales and guest counts grow. And uh, we probably had uh, our, our most vibrant period was from 2012 to 2016, where we saw high to double digit comp growth. And we've been on a, on a pretty good roll. Uh, we just finished uh, the year positive, and uh, you know I, I feel really optimistic about the next twelve months in front of us. Mm -hmm. So you, you said that you 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 provide a lot of table service. Well, I think one of the challenges I think in the industry really in the last couple of years is is this. Um, is that a lot of consumers have have been kind of really shifting a, a lot of their focus and a lot of their visits towards takeout? How have you uh, how have you handled that? Have you have you seen the same thing at Fazoli's and and uh, you know how how would you how are you addressing it? Yeah, so definitely we're seeing a, a change in consumer and a shift in uh, our day parts and a shift by channel. So we're, we're seeing a uh, a a movement to take out delivery online ordering. When I started with the brand, we were 60% dine-in, 40% uh, takeout, off-premise catering, all other. And now it's 56% takeout, delivery, <laughs> online, and 44% and dine-in. So it's a pretty big shift in 10 years when you, when you think about it. And mm -hmm. I think you're going to see that shift continue over the next decade. So you really need to be the positioning the brand and preparing yourself for the, the, the changing consumer, the stay-at-home economy that's currently uh, occurring. And we, we have done a lot of things to address that internally, besides adding our own online ordering and mobile app and working with third-party delivery services. We've done little things from high, upgrading our catering package packaging to upgrading our to-go packaging, so everything travels really well. And you know, we're fortunate that our food our food travels really well, so we're we're really mm -hmm. we're really positioned well for um, you know off premise sales. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd imagine that'd be a fairly big advantage for you guys, given you know given your given your products is is that you know it does tend to travel well. We've seen you know other chains uh, you know similar to yours sort of have success in that arena and. Um, really seems to to be something of, of a strong point for you guys. Yeah, definitely. We have a competitive advantage because of not only our positioning, we're Italian, and there's not a lot of Italian places out there that are offering uh, delivery services or online ordering and our price point, and then our food travels so well. So you know, mm -hmm. even, even our breadsticks, which are uh, just – 
world class, uh, you know, travel well. So we, we've done a lot with our packaging just to make sure that there's no leakage. And we feel real confident that we're prepared for the future. Mm-hmm. You, you've you've been in this business for a while. Have you ever seen such a focus on 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 packaging as there are there is today? I mean, I, I think that's one of the more incredible things about the industry just this 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 like this is the sort of thing you have to think about is is the packaging that your food is put in yeah so the answer is i mean in in my history i've never seen the consumer change so rapidly Mm -hmm. uh, from wanting their the product brought to where they are not where you are and so packaging is is critical because you're now uh, the majority of your business is moving to off-premise so they're mm-hmm. they're viewing and eating the, your product out of that packaging, and it's really it's highly critical that you've got the right vessel to put your food in uh, when you're delivering it to the locations or having them pick it up online or take out or uh, catering. Mm-hmm. What did you, what kind of packaging did you use? I mean, what kind of things did you do, especially with the with the breadsticks? Yeah, so I, 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 I'll just start. We had a old foam uh, bowl and a lid, and now you know we've got uh, a, a, a poly uh, leak-proof uh, lid that goes on top. We just really have taken every single piece and looked at it and put money into it. I mean, we've added cost to the business just to make sure that we have everything um, as best that, that we possibly can for our food to travel as well as it. It possibly can. So, I mean, we actually order catering into our restaurant or delivery or online pickup uh, into our home office. And just to, to, to test out the stuff, we have a lot of restaurants local in Lexington. And just to get a feel for how long the products will uh, travel and what what the real life looks like. So, again, it was a complete overhaul. We, we changed every single piece, you know, as far as the breadsticks, you know, we, we changed the, the packaging, uh, slightly. And then we also actually changed the color of the breadstick bag just so that was, uh, there's a deep red in there. Cause we forget our breadsticks in a to go order. We, we, we lose. So mm-hmm. we've had a real concentration on breadstick accuracy, which is really important for us. And the team's done a really incredible job of bringing down the number of breadstick issues on, on uh, to go and uh, off premise. Mm-hmm. Those breadsticks pretty important to, uh, to your business. And as, as I recall, uh, before you got there, they, they used to, and I, I, I mean, I've told you this before. I, I used to eat at Pozzoli's a lot. Um, and, um, until I moved to Minneapolis and, um, and you know, the breadsticks were always sort of the, I mean, that was, it was always like a major reason, like we really liked the brand, me and my, my wife and, and, you know, you'd be dining inside and they would just give you a free breadstick. And we always thought that was kind of cool. And then, and then as the chain started having problems, they kind of went away from that and you had to sort of shift back to that, didn't you? Yeah. So there was a calculation done by the old equity firm that would save like $1.7 million if we 86 breadstick service in the diet dine in and i came in and again from the consumer report it was our number one complaint issue and took us a while to get the consumer to know that we're back delivering breadsticks in the dining room i put it right back uh Mm -hmm. 2010 we put breadstick service back into the dining room and we have people walking around 
with breadsticks, and it's the same uh, experience that you used to remember. Uh, we also do fresh uh, grated Parmesan at the table when we bring out the meal, and uh, there's just a lot of service after the point of sale that we provide that, again, no one at our price point is currently doing. It's a competitive edge for us, although it's a shrinking part of our business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you know? Like, how, how do you know as an executive? Because that, that has to be one of the it has to be in my mind one of the biggest challenges that sort of executives face is is kind of determining you know when you know like because you have all these profit challenges and I think today especially given rising labor costs given given the price of delivery and the technology you have to add and all the focus I mean just a simple ad that you have to change your packaging and that sort of thing all these profit pressures and and there's a lot of uh, uh you know there's a lot of pressure on executives to find ways to 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 cut costs so you can so you can maintain your profit margins but at the same time you know if you cut the wrong thing as as your predecessors did you cut the wrong thing you can really hurt your brand and and you know i mean i just wrote about a uh, just wrote about an you know a, a brand that had had cut labor costs and you can definitely tell when 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 sales declined after that i mean how do you know when is the right time to cut and when when you just basically have to swallow hard and 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 maintain a cost Sure. So I think a couple things, uh, you know, one, you really need to take a close look of making sure any of your cost cuts don't directly affect the consumer. And that, you know, that's hard to do. Uh, the other thing, we have a really good senior team and, uh, you know, our, our food costs is at record historical low. So it, it allows us to, um, have other areas have inflation while we're having actually de-inflation in our food costs because we've done a really nice job on the supply chain side. So those two have kind of equaled out um, the, fr- from uh, cost savings to cost adding. And what we're seeing is with our sales and traffic growth, we're, you know, we're still more profitable per guest. So we measure every single guest gross profit per guest, and then we measure them by each individual channel. I will tell you that the delivery channels are least profitable delivery or least profitable revenue center. And we're working on making that more profitable. And you're right. You know, you got to be careful uh, that you you don't uh, make the wrong move, but you know, we are going to be more aggressive uh, as it relates to third party delivery with price than we have in the last 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. So, you, what do you mean by aggressive on price? Are you gonna you gonna charge delivery customers more for for their for their food items? So we 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 tried to do and set up a delivery uh, surcharge or fee, and that was just not available to us. So yes, we mm-hmm. are actually going to uh, increase the menu prices uh, for third party delivery since it's you know, such a convenience item at this point in time. We did a test in our Dayton, Ohio market. For six months and didn't see any pushback whatsoever. Dayton, for whatever reason, is our highest delivery market. It's about 6% of overall sales in that market. And we raised prices and they just kept chugging along. So I think the consumer, as it relates to delivery, is willing to pay a little bit more just to have the convenience and, and the product come out to you. So. You know, we're going to, uh, you know, roll out that, uh, system wide here in the next, uh, 60 to 90 days and you know hopefully we don't push it too far but we we have to make third-party delivery more profitable Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, that's, uh, I mean, we're, I'm hearing more of this, you know, more of this where, where ultimately delivery customers are, are simply going to have to pay a little higher prices for, for, for those orders because, you know, it, you know, as it stands, you know, especially with, you know, with, with a lot of these other costs and it, it's, it, you know, it is it is a profit challenge, and and that's particularly true in franchise businesses where, you know, the operators have to make this work, and, um, uh, you know, it just sort of it's ultimately going to have to be borne by the consumer, and and so far, I mean, I I mean, what what I've heard fairly universally is that is that there is no pushback, and that customers are willing to pay a little bit more to have that convenience. Well, that's what we're seeing right now, and but we'll have a better picture in the next three or four months after we take some price to whether or not we see any, any fall off from the, our delivery sales and our, our estimation is we will not, it will just improve our profit. Mm-hmm. So, so you said that you, you have a higher level of service inside your restaurants and I don't need to tell you that uh, labor costs have been sort of a challenge in recent years. Has that been, has it been tough to kind of maintain those service levels given, given uh, the way uh, wages are going or, or, or not? Well, it, it's definitely more difficult in the last 24 to 36 months, uh, the hiring and recruiting, and retaining good employees. So, you know, we find that really the best general managers that we have in our system have the lowest turnover and have the least problem recruiting people and have the the least amount of uh, average hourly wage inflation. So, you know, we really focus in on having that key general manager who's really bought into the brand and, you know, wants to grow in their career and that that's really helped us out a lot. Uh, we, we have seen average hourly wage spike. Last year was our largest um, uh, increase in average hourly wage at three point eight percent. We've been mm-hmm. averaging around two two and a half. So it, it, it's certainly harder to uh, find great quality help out there, and I think that's going to continue for in the next period of time. But as our team talks about it, I mean, this is just the new norm. This is what we have to, mm-hmm. to work within and. The environment that we're in, we just need to adapt and not uh, uh, really worry about the fact that uh, um, the unemployment rate's low. We have to worry about making sure that our restaurants are staffed. And we have a very analytical approach, and we we know how many uh, team members we need per location. We track how many team members are at that location. If they're uh, at a variance number that's is very low, then we'll give them more flexibility with um, average hourly wage increases. If they're at or above their par level for employees, then we'll be a little less aggressive with, you know, the starting pay rates. So, you know, we look at it individually by store and, and certainly coach our general managers to, you know, create an environment that where employees want to, you know, be at Fazoli's and not want to find another place or mm-hmm. jump across the street yeah yeah I, I think you know uh you know retaining workers is sort of the key key point you've we've seen you know report you know you know chains that do well in keeping their workers in the restaurant um have better sales and i mean that's pretty universal yeah, the interesting thing for Fazoli's, we're going through a remodel program right now. Is the mm-hmm. drop the drop in turnover in the remodeled locations? We've 
remodeled uh, about 15 company stores so far. We've got the one that we just finished. We've got two underway, and then we've got another two right after that, and then five at the end of summer. At the inter- it's just a, an inter- interesting piece that we're seeing turnover at the remodel locations and the overall employee satisfaction rate really jump in the mm-hmm. in in the in the newer cleaner facilities. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, people like working in 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 nicer places. I mean, that's just like uh, customers like eating in nicer places. Employees like working in nicer places, and and, and that just uh, you know it, it definitely makes a difference. I mean, um, uh, you know, to to employee satisfaction. So if you want to retain workers, one of the things you could do is main you know at the very least maintain your 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 uh, the the cleanliness and 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 uh, uh, overall appearance of of, of the workspace. For sure. And it's a big focus for us. Our goal is to try to get our locations a hundred percent remodeled in the next two years. And that will be a game changer for us. That's like mm-hmm. our next bit. That'll be our next big breakthrough. Our, our restaurants, there's a lot of loca of the 216, probably three quarters of them are, um, have been around for 20, 25 years. And as we've remodeled these restaurants, we've really seen sales spike. I mean, we've, We've seen a lot higher same store sales increase than most brands through the remodels, and so we're averaging anywhere between eight and twelve percent wow. uh, top line, top line bump and the return on investment. Um, if you're a taxpayer, the depreciation schedule it's real advantageous to the company and the franchisees to remodel. And you know we've actually are seeing a lot of our franchisees now start to remodel on their own just because of the the, the success we've had with our units. Mm-hmm. Right. Super. Sir, um, I, uh, that is all that I have for you this week. Thank you very much for, for joining us on the podcast. This has been fantastic. Yeah, Jonathan, always an honor uh, and feel free to, to reach out to me anytime. One last note on the off-premise trend. I believe that this trend could push companies into more mergers and acquisitions, creating a growing number of super companies that operate many chains under the same umbrella. Why? Go back to McDonald's $300 million acquisition of Dynamic Yield, a company that will put Amazon-like technology at the chain's drive-thru windows, or the $200 million investment in Grubhub by Yum! Brands to get favorable delivery deals for KFC and Taco Bell, or any third-party delivery strategy by large chains for that matter. Smaller companies can't keep up with that level of investment. Mid-sized chains, which already struggle to compete in a market that either likes its restaurant companies really big and national or quite small and local, might have little choice but to band together so they can make the investments in off-premise and technology and keep pace with the McDonald's and Yum! brands of the world. And that could continue the consolidation trend that has intensified in the restaurant space for the past three years. Trust Butterball, America's favorite turkey brand, to help you attract more diners. Butterball is a leader in animal care and well-being, with turkeys raised on U.S. family-owned farms. Explore products, including all-natural and NAE options, at ButterballFoodService.com. That's it for this week's edition of A Deeper Dive, which, as always, was edited by Christine Cawthon. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. Contributors to this podcast include Peter Romeo, Heather Lally, Sarah Rushworth, and Pat Kobe. 
You can find this and other episodes on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash podcast. You can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host and podcast producer and the executive editor of Restaurant Business Magazine. Thank you for listening.